0: the big bets on campus podcast podcast Podcast. all right here we go The fight in the door. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus Podcast. This is the Group of Five Deep Dive. I am Mike Calabrese, joined by my Action Network colleague Mike Ionello. And as the great Steve Spurrier, the old ball coach, likes to say, we are in the heart of talking season. And what better to talk about than the best of the best in the group of five? We're going to put together a 10-team draft. We're going to end up with five teams each all gunning for that elusive new year's six automatic birth. This is a fun way to do it. A fun way to, you know, research the the best and the brightest in you know G five. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to finally start to get our eyes primed on the fall, no longer looking back, looking forward. How are you feeling about the upcoming college football season? Mike,
1: this was my first time really starting to dive in, you know, dig into some roster turnover, some, some new looks, um, uh, it was fun. I miss it. Um, I'm very excited to get back in it. That's a tough part with G5 you got to relearn everyone's name, uh, but I'm very excited about it.
0: So we did a little uh, pre-production draft order clarification. I'm going to go ahead with the first pick, then inLO gets two, then it's back and forth the rest of the way. Is that okay with you? Are you fine with the, the guardrails that I've set here? I want to make sure that everything's legitimate and also that we can iron out the prize pool here being... The winner gets a hat and t-shirt of the official bowl announcement. So, you know, whatever that team ends up going to peach bowl, cotton bowl, the special swag that gets thrown on there. And I assume that the action network is just going to fly the winner to the actual bowl games.
1: The action network sends us out on Breving Murphy's private jet to whatever city this is being played in.
0: Yeah. Just sources emblazed blazed on the side of the plane uh, for Matt, who's uh, our illustrious producer. We're going to make you a special offer, Matt. If Any team outside of the 10 we select end up as the automatic qualifier for the New Year's Six Bowl game, you win. And we'll go ahead and buy you that hat and t-shirt. So you don't have to do anything. You just have to be a hater of these 10 teams. Really a job description that I think perfectly suits you and your skill set. I accept these terms. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and jump off here. We don't need the pomp and circumstance of the ESPN lead-in with the chimes and the commissioner and everything else. I'm jumping right in. I'm going with the Houston Cougars, I think they're clearly the class of, you know, the G5 teams this year, and there's so much to like. Their win total is set at nine in Vegas. I'm going to go over on that. When you look at their returning starters, six on offense, five on defense. But one element that I'm really keen on, and you're going to notice this hopefully if I get the right teams uh, off the board that I want to draft, they return their quarterback, their head coach, their defensive coordinator, and their offensive coordinator. And as it relates to you know the teams at the G5 level, oftentimes there's musical chairs in those spots. If you, if you achieve a lot of success, either as a coordinator or as a head coach, you get plucked. You get to have that stepping stone opportunity to move up to a bigger job. But they were able to hold on to everybody, specifically Doug Belk, the million-dollar man, the highest paid coordinator, defensive coordinator in the group of five. I love the guy. He's a Broyles Award semifinalist last year. He created an attacking defense. Their front line referred to themselves as Sack Avenue. They had 45 sacks as a defense, six nationally tied first in G5 with Western Michigan. Derek Parrish and DeAnthony Jones, who first himself as the CEO of Sack Avenue, he's back. I love what they have there. And then on offense, it's pretty simple. As I mentioned, Clayton Tune returning, and he gets his best playmaker back in um, in Tank Dell. Tank Dell blew up last year, an incredible performance down the stretch, ends with 90 receptions. But in terms of where is his ceiling when, you know, the lights are brightest against Cincinnati and Auburn in their final two games, 19 receptions over 300 yards and a touchdown. I love what he brings to the table, their entire secondary as well. Another element that I really like all juniors or seniors. And this is something I'm going to come to a lot in terms of the methodology behind my picks. You got to look at schedule. They open with UTSA, Texas Tech, and Kansas. They also avoid Central Florida and Cincinnati during the regular season. I think that's a recipe for an 11-1 season. And honestly, unless something crazy happens in the other conferences, I do believe that as long as they don't have a really bad loss, as a one-loss AAC champion, I think they're going to get the green light to go ahead and snag that New Year's Six Bowl. I assume that Houston was on top of your board as well. Do you like the pick? Is there anything to nitpick? Did I miss anything?
1: Yeah, I like Houston. You know, we, we kind of got on them about <clears throat> halfway through last season and, and rode them right to the AAC championship. Um, but I do think it's a little disrespectful that you're not going to go, that the, the first pick has to be the team that's been there two straight years. So I'm going, if you're going to leave them for me, I'll go with the team that beat Houston in the conference championship. I'll go with Cincinnati, two straight New Year's Six Bulls. They haven't lost a regular season game in two years. And yes, they have had a lot of turnover. I know you talked about that with why you like Houston. Since he loses Desmond Ritter, they lose Jerome Ford, they lose Alec Pierce, they lose Sauce Gardner, they lose Kobe Bryant. But they still have Luke Fickle. And I think no one would argue he's the best G5 coach in the country. He's probably one of the top, what, five, seven, certainly top 10 coaches, period, in the country. So I'll ride with Luke Fickle and the Bearcats again. To replace Desmond Fitter, they have a new quarterback, but he's not – really a new quarterback they bring in ben bryant who started at cincinnati it was there for three years in the system knows the system transferred to east eastern michigan to get a little playing time threw for over three thousand yards 14 touchdowns led the mac in completion percentage they returned they, like i said they lost alec pierce but they bring back tyler scott and trey tucker who were second and third in the team in receiving the entire offensive line is back um and yeah i know some of you know they lose those big names but the nice thing about the G5 is, like, who cares? Because you didn't know who any of those guys were until they were starters and got playing time and were great. Cincinnati has stacked the best recruiting class in the G5 for three straight years. They bring in some Power 5 guys. They brought in Ivan Pierce from – oh, he's not Power 5 guy, but they brought in Ivan Pierce from Miami, uh, Ohio. He led the MAC in tackles. He finished seventh for tackles for loss. He was tenth in the entire country in tackles. He's going to be huge to help shore, uh, shore up some of those losses on the defense. Their win total is also nine, and they do have a pretty reasonable schedule. The other thing I like about Cincinnati is you assume they'll start the season as the highest G5 team, just out of respect. Maybe Houston gets it, but I think Cincinnati has earned the right to at least start the year as the highest G5 team in the polls. So they're going to have that advantage already. They start the year at Arkansas. Obviously, that is a tough game, and that is pretty much going to make a break how this falls. Um, But even if they do slip up to Arkansas, they have plenty of time to build it back up. They're home against Canastra State the following week. Then they play Miami, Ohio. And then they play Indiana, which is a good, like, you know, power five, big 10 team that they're probably going to beat. They go to SMU and and UCF back-to-back weeks in the end of October. So that's kind of a little scary. But I think if they get past Arkansas, they could very well be undefeated again. And even if they fall Arkansas, they should have plenty of leeway to kind of build themselves back up. Colin Wilson has them 24th in his power ratings, the highest of any G5 team. He has Houston 32nd. SC Plus has them 11th. Um, so I just, I like this Stag team. I think they've earned the respect to be the presumed favorite to be there again.
0: I think everything you said makes sense, but I think the, the bigger picture, and this happens every year in the preseason poll, there's teams that are higher than they should be based on respect. I think they've earned it. But the fact of the matter is their brand has been their defense and they only returned four starters, a ton of super high-end talent is out the door. The Thorpe award winner, you know, that doesn't even include sauce Gardner. Like the fact of the matter is I think they're going to get steamrolled in Fayetteville by an Arkansas team that is on the precipice of becoming a top 15 team. If everything breaks right for them this season. And I think, There's no overlooking a Cincinnati team. This isn't three years ago when they could sneak up on somebody. They have a big target on their back in this particular game. And what I think is actually a problem that, you know, big picture may not be a problem, but certainly in September, is they may have a quarterback controversy between Pratter and and, uh, Ben Bryant. Both of them are capable. Pratter is, you know, the highest rated quarterback I think they've ever recruited in school history. So there's a chance that that lingers into fall camp. Um, I just think there's an opportunity for them potentially to get pushed around in that opener and lose a little bit of that swagger and confidence that they've clearly played with for multiple years in the AAC. So I'm glad that you took them, because honestly, if they were still on the board, I have to take them with my next pick. But you get back to back here. Are you double dipping in the AAC or are you going
1: elsewhere? I'm double dipping in the American. I'm going with former national champion UCF. Um, And by the way, there's a reason the top three picks off the board are American teams. Because in eight years in this current format, the AAC has been the G5 representative six times. Mountain West once, the MAC once, Conference USA and some have never made it. And only two teams have made the New Year's Six Bowl more than once. Cincinnati and UCF. I have them both. UCF had a like sneaky impressive nine and four le- year last season under their first season under Gus Malzahn. And just about everything went wrong. You know, Dylan Gabriel broke his collar run like the last play of the game. And that lost to Louisville. They lost their best running back. Isaiah Bowser. They lost their best receiver, Jalen Robinson. They lost on defense. They lost Kalia, Kalia Davis. They lost Tatum Bassoon, Uh And a few others. Their sent. I think their starting center got hurt. Um, they lost to Louisville. Like I said, on, like the last play of the game. They lost at Navy by four, and that was Mikey Keene's first star as a true freshman. They lost at Cincinnati. They lost at SMU. All respectable losses. And they finished the year beating Florida in the bowl game. Uh, they finished the year 7-0 at home. I believe if you take out the 2020 COVID season, they haven't lost a home game since 2016 with, like, full capacity, bounce house, bouncing. Mikey Keene, I mentioned him, he struggled really early. He really struggled early on, which, you know, it's understandable as a true freshman. But he didn't throw a single interception in his last five weeks. And he's going to get some competition at quarterback because they brought in John Reese Plumlee from Ole Miss, who if you don't remember, He I believe, was he the starter at first? He kind of lost his job to Corral. But he is a freak athlete, transitional wide receiver. Link Kiffin, as you say, he's like the fastest player on the roster. And King's not mobile at all. And if, you know, you look back at some of Gus's good teams, obviously Cam Newton, and, you know, even Nick Marshall, like, when he has those mobile quarterbacks, yeah, I mean, Bo Nix was at his best when he was running around like a madman. So Gus's teams tend to do better with that mobile quarterback. So I wouldn't be shocked if John Reese Plumley takes that job. And whoever is the quarterback is going to have plenty of weapons because Isaiah Bowser's back, Johnny Richardson's back, who filled in when Bowser got hurt. Like I said, they get Jalen Robinson's back. Ryan O'Keefe is their second leading receiver. They bring in two power five weapons. They bring in Kobe Hudson from Auburn. They bring in tight end Ken Moore Gamble, Gamble from Florida. Those are both going to really help the offense. And the defense was better under Gus last year, but still not elite. But pretty much every starter on defense is back. So I do expect that defense to take a big step forward. And they have a really easy non-con schedule. They play South Carolina state. They play Louisville again, and they play Georgia tech all at home. Louisville and Georgia tech are at home. And then they go to Florida Atlantic, which doesn't exactly scare me. They don't actually leave Florida until October 22nd. They get Cincinnati and SMU both at home. They avoid Houston. I mean, their toughest road game this year is probably East Carolina, you know, go pirates. But if that's your toughest road game, they very well could go undefeated. And I think I think Houston and Cincinnati were clearly one and two on my board. But if you were finding some sort of odds of betting who's going to be that representative and you assume UCF has the third best odds, I think they are the best value on the board. Um, I would not be at all surprised if UCF is that team to come out of it because I think the way their schedule sets up, if they just hit at quarterback, they have so many weapons around him. Obviously, Gus Malzahn is an experienced coach. Um, I'm really excited about what the the nights are going to be this year.
0: This one, interestingly, I'm more bullish on than your Cincinnati pick. I probably would have flipped the order. Not that it matters, you know. I did out of here. Yeah, out of respect. You're a very respectful guy. Um, I agree with you. I had to do like a double take when I saw the fact that they have not one but two ACC teams traveling to them. I guess they won the messaging war over the years. No one will play us. We always had to play three or four at your place. Like now, they got it. And I agree. If they get the the right and expected kind of maturation from their quarterback, you know, whether it's Keen or whether it's Plumley, I do think this is a dangerous team. I, I think just given kind of the chaotic nature of some of Malzahn's coach teams in years past, you could see them, you know, win against Louisville going away and then mess around and lose a game that maybe they shouldn't, or, you know, find themselves in a dogfight in the fourth quarter against a team that's, you know, right on the, They'll lose to the, like Tulsa late in the year. <laughs> exactly. So I, I do think that they're they could be a very fun team with a high ceiling, And I agree. I think a big part of it is how do they integrate some of those transfer pieces out on the perimeter? Because if Bowser's healthy and everything everything else they have in terms of speed, I think they could be the most dynamic offense in the AAC. So I like that pick a lot. I'm going to go outside of the AAC for my pick, and I'm going to go with the original BCS buster. I'm going to go with Boise State. Their win total for the season sitting at nine and a half. I like over there. A lot of it has to do with their very manageable schedule, but offensively, you know, under Bachmeyer, not someone I love, but certainly a consistent guy who if he can get a little bit better offensive line play in front of him, and, you know, reduce some of those panic throws that he had last season, I think they can really improve offensively. It was one of their worst offenses they've had really since the late nineties, but they returned seven starters They have Halani back, who hopefully, if he can stay healthy, give them a a bit of stability on the ground. But really, it's all about this defense. In the Mountain West, there's a lot of good offenses. There's a lot of good offensive coaching. So you need to have a dynamic defense. They were 16th, or they're projected to be 16th by uh, Bill Conley's S&P+. They have nine starters returning on that side of the ball. And just like my first pick, Bachmeyer back. Avalos is the head coach. Tim Plough is their offensive coordinator and Spencer Danielson is their DC returning all of that as a package. I love that kind of continuity at the G five level. So digging a little deeper into the defense, why I like them so much beyond what the projections are for Conley, even looking backwards, they were top 20 last year and turnovers generated points per game allowed touchdowns in the red zone allowed. So they really, you know, beyond being a team that created havoc, they were bend but not break at the right time. And the offensive line, as I mentioned, you know, are they going to get better just by virtue of the experience? I think yes, a little bit, but they needed to dip into the transfer portal. They did. They pulled out Cade Beresford from Wazoo, played I think eight or nine games last year for the Cougars in the Pac-12. He's going to step in at the, the right tackle, which is important for them. Um, and then finally one other element of it, when you have an offense that you know hopefully makes baby steps in the right direction, you're going to need to be Awesome on special teams to make up for that. And they were last year at times. John uh Jonah Dalmas, their place kicker was very good. They were a blocks field goal away from beating Oklahoma State. So I actually think when you look back at their year, they were seven and five, which by Boise standards is like they may as well have gone two and ten. I think they were close to breaking through to having more of a typical nine-win season for a Boise State team. It's a transition year, new head coach. When I look at their schedule, I think it sets up really nicely to build momentum in the right way. They open against a Power 5 team at Oregon State. They were a bowl team last year, but Oregon State, for all of the the positive um, progress they made under Jonathan Smith, offensively, I'm not scared of them at all. I think their backfield leaves a lot to be desired, and I think this could be a rock fight in a game that Boise could steal. And if they do, after that, the rest of the month, at New Mexico, they're awful. Home against UT Martin, go Skyhawks, but I don't think they're getting over there. UTEP is a team that we're not even probably going to mention in this draft because they lost so much. So when you look at that, I think a 4 0 start is absolutely on the table. And then they get into uh, Mountain West play, they get San Diego State at home. They get Fresno State at home. They get BYU late in the year, also at home, an opportunity because they're going to be competing against an AAC resume for that champion. They need a calling card win. If everything breaks right for BYU, they could be a top 20 team. Beating them in the month of November, I think, is that you know, kind of springboard that they would need from a public perception standpoint to possibly move past an AAC champ. So Boise is my pick here. Do you think the Broncos are limited by Bachmeyer? and I'm just, you know, I have the rose colored glasses on, or do you like everything I'm kind of laying out in terms of uh, Boise?
1: Yeah, Bachmeyer just scares me. And I also was on Boise State, that Oklahoma State game, so I still kind of hate them for that. Um, but I mean, at this point in the draft, I feel like every team we're going to mention has flaws and that's why they're going, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth in this draft. I agree with you everything about their defense. I think, you know, you can make an argument. They're probably, I mean, I assume they're the favorite in the mountain West. Um, if they're not the team I'm about to mention probably is. Um, but yeah, Bachmeyer just, he scares me. and A lot of times just watch them last year. Their offense just t- seemed to be thrown up to Shakir and let him go make it sick catch and make a play. So I would nervous about them. So I'm going to take the quarterback. I do trust Jake Kaner's season in full effect. The Fresno state bulldogs. We love them. Everyone loves them. Jake Hayner is back through for 4,000 yards last year, 33 touchdowns, nine interceptions, it like he was battling injuries pretty much the whole year. It's like his hip, his shoulder, everything was seen wrong. I,
0: I heard he also has whiplash because he went in the portal and he was going to Washington and now he's back at Fresno. You know, any any ill feelings in that locker room? For a No, that like, makes I'm... me more
1: confident because he dipped his toe. He was flirting with Washington and his old boo, Kalen DeBoer. And then he said, no, 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 I'm going to move on to bigger and brighter things. And he decided to stay at Fresno State because Jeff Tedford's coming back. After he used to be the Bulldogs coach, he resigned in 2019 because of the health reasons, but he is back better than ever, probably has a new perspective on life. You know, he's just, he's just thankful to be alive at this point. So, I mean, the boys are going to play for him. Jake Hainer, I don't even know what his, if it was that serious. I'm just – I don't know what the actual health reasons. Are. Um, but Hainer wanted to play for him, and Hainer wanted to come back to play for Tedford. He said that. In his three years at Fresno State, he led them to the conference title game twice. So, and not only is Hainer back, but his top receiver is back. Who we love Jalen Cropper. He was second in the conference with 11 touchdowns, third with 85 catches. Josh Kelly's also back. Zane Pope is also back. All of his weapons are back. And the only person he lost was Ronnie Rivers, who drove the, both of us nuts last year because he was so talented and didn't do anything all season. Eventually, he basically lost his job to Jordan Mims, who is back. Mims finished the year with 5.6 yards per carry. He had more touchdowns than Ronnie Rivers. So, is Rivers even that big of a loss? He really wasn't a factor most of the season to the, you know, angerment of the two of us who bet on them all the time. Now, Fresno State's defense was sick last year. They were kind of the biggest story, especially with Hayner uh, having his injuries. They do lose a couple key pieces, especially up front, but All Mountain West safety have Williams back. And Williams is the heart and soul of that defense, led the team in tackles, led the team in and interceptions. He is just a missile all over the field. So I'm not super worried about the defense. I think MLMs will kind of stabilize it. And he is that safety net on that team. Nothing gets past him. We talked about at this point in the draft, everyone has, you, you have the, eh, for Boise, it was, it was the quarterback. For Fresno is the schedule. They go to U, uh, USC week three. And sure. We don't know what USC is exactly going to be. But we assume they'll be a little bit better with Caleb Williams. That defense is still a nightmare. So Hainer probably torches them. But can he go toe to toe with Caleb Williams? Now, we did see him take down UCLA on the road last year. Um, Fresno also plays at home against Oregon State, who you just mentioned. Um, so, like I said, two Pac 12 games are a little scary. But as I mentioned, we saw them take down UCLA last year. They pushed Oregon to the wire in a game that was like, super exciting, and Oregon had. But lost until they came back. So I'm not saying those are losses, but even if, let's say, they, used, they lose to USC, beat Oregon State, um, you mentioned that they do have to go to Boise State, but they get San Diego State and San Jose State at home. So while the schedule scares me, I do think they're a better team than Boise State. So I think getting them was just the fifth pick. I'm going to go with Fresno State, Jake Hanner season in full effect
0: as long as he stays healthy, there's nothing to nitpick on their offense. Their offense should be elite. I think it'll be close to top 10 nationally, which puts them in any game against anybody. But that schedule is rough in in a four-week span playing Oregon State at USC and then two weeks later at Boise State. They got to win two or three in that spot. And to be honest, as I brought up, I'll beat this drum, you know, against an AAC champion, you can't lose by 35 points to USC. So if you do lose, you know, it's got to be really close. Or if you lose to Oregon State, it needs to be by a field goal or something like that. And then followed up with an upset of USC. So it's all there for them. It's not the traditional first year situation with, you know, the head coach coming in, obviously with his his history with the program and everything else, but there could potentially be growing pains there i think it's yeah, he probably he
1: probably recruited half of these guys right
0: yeah that, that that's actually correct so the fact that they open with cal poly i think that's a nice little preseason game for them so i like them. i i think there, there's a lot to like about them in general i wonder if their defense is going to take even you know a baby step back you know they were top 30 top 40 and all the important metrics but that's kind of calen deborg's like you know bread and butter and really kind of how he he built the program up on that side of the ball so Even if it's a half step backwards, does that hurt them? They certainly have the personnel to get it done. So, like I said, this is purely nitpicking. I think a great value at this point in the draft. Speaking of value, I am so happy. Meet me. UTSA is still on the board with this pick. Meet me. Their win total set at eight and a half. You can get it at some books at plus 130 on the over. I'm gonna go ahead and, and hammer that as soon as we get off this call s p Plus has them at the 32nd ranked offense in the country. That's blasphemy. This offense is going to be a lot better. They got eight returning starters. I'll get to them in a minute. Defensively, this is where they either sink or swim. I don't know if roadrunners can swim. I don't, I don't think they can fly either. I, I'm not exactly sure why they're a bird if they can't do either. But they're projected to be 89th nationally, according to Bill Conley's s p Plus projections. They only have five starters back on that side of the ball. But let's talk offense. Frank Harris, fantastic. He took a huge leap forward last year as a passer. Zakari Franklin, Josh Cephas, plus four returning starters on the offensive line for a team that scored 37 points per game, 11th nationally last year. But last preseason, we introduced the world to Bailey Zappi. I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce Ty Edwards. This is the Ty Edwards appreciation show because he's replacing sincere McCormick. A bell cow if there ever was one. I think he had 298 carries last year. This kid is ready to take over in that spot. Juco All-American. He was the MVP of the Juco National Championship game. He's 6'3", 230 pounds. Out of high school, before he went the Juco route, he had offers from Alabama and Oregon and a host of other major power programs. He is ready to blow up this season. And I think a lot of people are naturally going to say, Okay, they have so much back on offense, but McCormick was their bread and butter. They certainly fed him in key moments. You look at that you know, upset at Memphis, things of that nature. Ty Edwards is ready to, ready to roll. So I love him in this spot. And then you look at the schedule. When you go through what UTSA has the opportunity to do, it all starts in the first month. They get Houston in the Alamo Dome. That's going to be a hard ticket to get in San Antonio. It's going to be a sellout. This is a, a program that won 12 games last year. they just gave a huge contract extension. Like this is a community that is bought in on this UTSA football team. So that's going to be a sellout. I think should be a great game. And from a, a draft capital perspective, I got Houston and UTSA. So I'm just pulling for whoever comes out of that with a dub. Then they go to army, which can be a tricky game, particularly with, you know, a short week to prepare, but if they're able to escape there, then they get Texas and it's on the 40 acres I know their fans are going to travel for a game like that because it's an opportunity finally to play on the biggest stage in the state of Texas. The Longhorns the week before they play Alabama. So if there was ever a letdown opportunity, either they get their butts kicked and they feel like they're not back or somehow, by the grace of God, they upset Nick Saban. I I that would be the ideal scenario for me. I think we saw it last year when UCLA upset LSU. And the very next week we were on the podcast talking about Fresno State taking out UCLA in the Rose Bowl. I think there's an opportunity to win two or three here in in the open. And at that point, the momentum, the rest of Commerce USA, save for UAB, this is not very good. So I think they can run the table, particularly with that offense. Defensively, they have a lot of new pieces in place, but I don't know. I think they're just going to win some shootouts. And at this point in the draft, I want one side of the ball to be elite. And I'm going to go with Frank Harris and the Roadrunner offense. I saw you grimace a little bit when I pulled the trigger on this one. I'm sure you're also pulling for the Roadrunners.
1: Yeah, you know, we love Meet meat here. um, So I'm not going to say a bad word about that. Side note, I think there's a chance that, do you think Texas starts Hudson Card, feeds him to Alabama, and then the UTSA game is the Quinn Ewers debut? I I wouldn't be shocked. You don't want to wreck the kid's confidence in his second career game. So if you start Card, assume he gets thrown in the wood chipper against Bama, and then UTSA is the, you let Quinn Ewer's debut.
0: To be honest, with the just incredible offensive weaponry that Texas has, I think if Ewer's or Card play well, that it's going to be a game against Alabama. I'm not going to say that they're going to win, but I, I, I think it's unlikely – that either one of them are going to get chewed up and spit out by the Alabama defense. Like don't I don't lose, have,
1: but at least like they'll put up 45 and just lose 70 to 45.
0: There's so many more questions on that side of the ball for the Longhorns. Not that this needs to turn into a, a UT burn orange podcast, but I do think there's so much to like on the perimeter for Texas. If they can get B plus quarterback play, I think they can score 28, 31 points on Bama. And then then it becomes a question of: do you get any breaks? Do you fall on a fumble? Does you know? Bryce Young gets shaken up and miss a drive or something like that. There's all kinds of hypotheticals to stay within two touchdowns in that game.
1: Yeah, it would help, you know, obviously it would help the road runners if you're getting uh, you know, a Ewer's debut in that game. I hate this pick, but I'm doing it anyway. Uh, we talked about it. Convert, you saying Sunbelt, have never sent a team to the uh, New Year's Six Bowl. So let's go with kind of a mix of both. I'm taking Marshall. Marshall. Who went just seven and six last year in the first season under Charles Hoff, go Penn State. Well, now Marshall's in the Sun Belt. You know, you know the Sun Belt, Mike? You, you remember the Sun Belt? You know, with, with Marshall. I'm familiar. And I got love for the Sun Belt. Marshall, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, James Madison, you know, that Sun Belt. Uh, yeah, they are in the New Look Sun Belt. So who knows what they expect out of that conference this year? Marshall was a weird team last year where, you know, four of their six losses were by a touchdown or less. And their stud as a freshman quarterback, Grant Wells, transferred to Virginia Tech. Is that a bad thing? Because anyone who bet on Marshall last year probably absolutely despises Grant Wells because he was so good. He had a cannon arm. He was so talented and was so bad at so many times. You know, his freshman year, 18 touchdowns, nine picks, kind of lit the world on fire as a true freshman. Well, last year he threw 16 touchdowns and 13 picks, and he was so infuriating to watch. In comes Henry Columbia from Texas Tech. He was their leading passer last year, despite only starting five games. His leading receiver, Corey Gamage is back, and he was huge for that offense. But the star of the show, Rasheen Ali, All-Conference USA running back, Rasheen Ali, finished 10th in the country, 1,400 yards rushing. He led the nation, the entire country, with 23 rushing touchdowns. He scored at least two touchdowns in eight games last, last season. He is a monster. I don't care who's quarterback. Give him the ball 30 times a game and get the hell out of his way. On defense, again, kind of a weird team because they were really good at getting in the backfield. they were really good at creating pressure and they got torched against the run. Well, Charles Tuff has tried to solve this problem. They went into the transfer portal and just give me all the beef. (laughs) Quentin Williams from Miami, Isaiah Gibson from Kentucky, Anthony Watts from Purdue, three defensive linemen, From the power five level, all over 300 pounds. Just give me that beef up front. So they recognize their biggest issue and just, here you go, guys. Just put the big fats right in the middle of the field and clog it up. On the backside, they return all conference USA corners, Stephen Gilmore and Mike Abraham. They probably have the best corner duo in the Sunbelt or they'll be up there. So
0: both both those guys are huge too. I think they're both over six feet. So
1: they're long long arms. That's
0: that's an incredible rarity,
1: you know, for anybody. Really, they're big. They're physical. They have long arms. I'm pretty confident in them against the pass. They can get after the passer if they can just have those three big meatheads make them better against the run. I think this is a defense that can improve very quickly. They're another one where you know they have the one big glaring non-con game week two at Notre Dame. Their other non-cons are Norfolk State and Bowling Green. They also have a very lucky draw in the Sun Belt, where they get Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, and App State all at home. Their road conference games are Troy, James Madison, Old Dominion, and Georgia Southern. So if they win their home games, and sure, they probably lose Notre Dame, I'm sure they'll – you know, it's not un- un- unheard of that they could be 11-1. and if, if that defense takes a big step back, and Columbia can do enough to basically carry the offense while Rashin Ali does his thing. I wouldn't be shocked if Marshall makes a little statement in the fun belt. I'm going to be
0: honest with you; I kind of see it. I mean, this is a Notre Dame team that messed around with Toledo and probably should have lost in September. I don't know who their quarterback year. is. They don't know who their quarterback is. I, I, th- I'm very bullish on uh, Freeman, Marcus Freeman, long term. I think he's going to recruit to the next level. He's going to break through that glass ceiling for Notre Dame recruiting and get them top 10 classes and potentially, you know, have them not only on the college football playoff stage, but competing in those games. But I don't necessarily see it in September. And I think you saw it a little bit in the bowl game. They seemed overwhelmed to a certain degree. I don't know you do have to squint. And you uh, Marcus to...
1: Freeman is such a good recruiter. He's about to steal Lloyd Carr's grandson from Michigan. You know, the balls yeah. it takes to do that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he's um, he's an elite mix of, you know, a charismatic guy, a a great family guy, in addition to all of the work that he actually did, where he's not just one of those rising star recruiters, you know, being the architect of that Cincinnati defense, I think gives him credibility right away. He talks the talk, he understands it. Um, And probably his best job qualification is he's not Brian Kelly. The guy was an ass. So, I mean, he was, he was a jerk who won a ton of games, but when you come in and you get a little bit of a leeway in your first full year and you're not a monster and you're personable and the alumni like you, you can start to build up positive momentum at Notre Dame. Now, that being said, there's a very short leash there. You got to win, but I do think right now everything is pointing, you know, green arrows up for the program. I just think that Marshall may be able to come in there. And also when we talk about fan bases that travel, there's going to be a lot of Marshall fans at that South Bend game, and really, when you look down their entire schedule, being newbies in the Sun Belt, they, they, they're going to rekindle some of their old FCS rivalries. So I'm going to see them, you know, going in there and and packing some, you know, visitor sections. So I think if we cross our fingers and hope for B, B-minus quarterback play. I think they're going to be in the running to win this conference. And if they strike, you know, gold against Notre Dame and win in an upset, then, yeah, they immediately become a serious contender for that New Year's Six game. And at this point in the draft, it may not seem that late to our listeners, but it, you really have to start using your imagination after the first three or four teams for what I'm, it's going to take to get there.
1: Taking a, a roll of dice on a team I think can win the conference at this point. Yes.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think that's true, and I think you have the the right perspective. And I like how you focused in on the beef up front because the easiest way to to beat a G five team is if they can't man, you know, if they're bad in the trench and they don't have the horses down there, you can just hand the ball off and run for two hundred yards. And I think it, it makes it so much more difficult to to score an upset. All right. I saw you grimace a little bit and, you know, kind of double clutch on some picks. This is my first double clutch one. I I don't love it. Uh, A lot of things have to go right for me here, but really it's an opportunity for me to highlight a player that I absolutely love, but I'm going to go with SMU and the AAC and hope for some chaos. Hope that Cincinnati doesn't put it together on offense. That's Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn's up some games for UCF and that Houston, I don't know, Dana Holgerson still scares me a little bit as the captain of the ship and you know, Clayton uh, Tune last year in their opener through four picks, so maybe has another game like that. Does it open the window or door a crack, whatever the analogy that uh, you like to choose here for SMU? I don't know. I'm looking at it like this. Bill Conley's numbers still love them offensively. He's got them 14th in their projections nationally. That's an elite offense. Their defense is just regular bad, not extremely bad, not a defense that's going to give up 50 points per game. He is at 71st, only three returning starters there, and a new head coach. Rhett Lashley finally gets a head coaching job after doing some fine work with the Miami offenses in the last two years. Offensively, in terms of their weapons, they lost a lot. They lost some to the portal. They lost some to graduation. Rashi Rice is now the new alpha dog. But what I like, even though that defense I mentioned, bad on paper, don't have a whole lot to get excited about, but they do have 10 potential starters who are seniors. So in terms of like what they can handle in terms of a new system, complexity, maybe they're able to roll with the punches there, but really I think this offense needs to carry the load and they can't do it unless they have one of those Ulysses Bentley type players, someone who can hit the home run. This program was number one in the G five in terms of the transfer portal. They got 11 transfers from the power five level the number one guy that they got, who I would argue is the number one transfer uh, impact player in the entire country, is Kamar Whedon from Alabama. Five-star kid, track star speed at 5'11", 190. I just went in and watched his high school highlight tape. It's just silly. Every time he bounces it to the outside, it's a touchdown. So when I balance that potential, you know, if he's as good as he is on tape, and I understand it's high school, but there's a reason that he was in Alabama last fall and he had a meniscus tear tear, and he ends up leaving because of what they did in the portal and he wants to play right away. If he is as good as he's projected to be, I think this offense will be top five nationally and or top 15 nationally. And then all of a sudden it becomes a situation. Can they be disruptive on defense? Can they be on the plus side in the turnover margin and win some games and some shootouts? I think they can because when you look at their schedule, it's very workable, and there's two opportunities to score. You know, national credibility, and they both come in September at Maryland. I mean, you don't have to stretch your imagination to see a shootout against you know two brother there, there, yeah, and then TCU, but at home, and TCU's in a rebuild. So I don't know. I, I like that. I, I think their schedule in AAC is more difficult. So I think there's an opportunity as they've done in. Really, the last five or six years, they start hot and then they fade. I think there's an opportunity for them to stop, start hot here. As you can tell, I'm not enamored with this pick, but I do think there's a chance for their offense to be special, so I'll go with the ponies.
1: Yeah, I like it. We saw them start hot last year, then they kind of faded, faded down the stretch. Um, that was, they were definitely on my big on my board. Um, all right, for my last pick, I'm going to go with – we've already taken two Mountain West teams. And we have yet to take either of the two teams that played for the Mountain West Championship last year. So I'm going to go with the loser of that game. I'm going to take Air Force. I think Air Force very sneakily put together a 10-win season last year. No one really talked about them. It was their second 10-win season in the last three years. Uh, They won the Mountain Division, earned a berth in the Mountain West Championship before they lost to Utah State. Uh, Like I said, 10-3. and all three games they lost by seven points or less, including an overtime loss to Army. Air Force did what Air Force does. They led the country with 327 rushing yards per game, thanks to the two-headed monster of Zeke Daniels and running back Brad Roberts. They combined for over 2,000 yards, 24 touchdowns combined. Both of them are back. So this offense is not going to miss a beat. The nice thing about you know a service academy is – you really only need two players. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about who's, on, who's playing receiver. Who cares? Um, although that is something that kind of did help the Falcons last year is they actually were sneaky decent at throwing the ball. You know, Daniels averaged nearly 100 yards per game, seven touchdowns. His 11.4 yards per attempt was second in the country. So he completed passes when he needed to, which is very, very big for, you know, a service academy to be able to catch teams off guard and pick up, you know, long third downs four of the five offensive line starters are back eight of their 11 defensive starters are back. You know, they do have to replace some key guys. Jordan Jackson and Trey bugs are big losses, especially bugs. But what's nice about service academies is maybe more than any other team is like, who cares? They're going to just throw in another guy. He's probably 26 already. He's been at service academy for five years. They just plug in guys you've never heard of. And they're just fine. So I think for me, service academies, returning production is like the least important of any school. Um, but like I said, to bring back eight of 11 defenders. So I'm still pretty confident in that. And they have a super manageable non-conference schedule this year. Play.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll stop you there. Is it too manageable? Is it, it possible that is it possible they go undefeated and get, leaped by a one loss AAC team or a Sun Belt team that scores a huge you know
1: upset win over Notre Dame as we just discussed so that I, that, that's opponent. my only concern like the
0: Colorado is their
1: best opponent that's why I like the who is it Cincinnati I was saying that they're playing like Indiana and you, the Maryland's, the Oregon States you need a power five games you can win I do agree I mean Colorado is power five but like are they really so it is a little easy you know they play Northern Iowa they play Colorado both at home um, they don't have to go on the road to a service academy, which is nice. They play Navy at home, and they play Army in Arlington, Texas. So uh, they also get Boise State at home, which is obviously their toughest in-conference opponent. So, yes, there's a good chance that, you know, they could – they're going to need other teams to lose because they're not going to win a resume battle. But Air Force could go undefeated. So to take a team that could go 12-0 and – like, almost seems like like – like, 10-3, again, seems like the worst-case scenario, doesn't it? So – but that kind of upside for my last pick, give me the Falcons.
0: I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's one that I'm going to be pulling for because I think one of the the last things on my bingo card as a college football fan after last year getting a G5 team in the college football playoff – I love it when non-quarterbacks win the Heisman, you know, Devonta Smith doing that two years ago. I've always wanted not just the New Year's Six Bowl, but I would love for one of these service academies to be in the top 10 conversation. I think it's just fun for college football. It's something that all of us as Americans are rooting for beyond just, you know, the Commander-in-Chief Cup and, you know, army navy at the end of the regular season i think it's it's exciting it's something i'm going to root for and honestly if you don't watch a ton of triple option football sometimes it's like the butt of you know the joke when it's at a power program like georgia tech or something like that but when i only watch it three or four times a year i like watching it so i i hope that they can put it together i do think they're going to be able to get off to a hot start i think there's a higher likelihood they lose to wyoming in week three than colorado at home in week two um We'll, we'll pick up the pace here for my last pick. I'm going to keep this simple. am going to go Coastal Carolina. You know, this is a program that returns those four key elements. They got Grayson McCall, a quarterback. Jamie Chadwell, their head coach. Willie Korn, OC, and Chad Staggs as their defensive coordinator. I think there's only like 22, 24 teams in the country that return all four of those elements. I understand there's so much to replace. You know, the three starters return on offense, three on defense. I do think... There's a little bit of bias in terms of the projections for their defense. Bill Conley's S&P plus has them slated 112th nationally. No way. I just don't see it, particularly because what they have up front, Josiah Stewart on the edge. Then they get Jaquan Griffin at Georgia tech transfer. Who's kind of a D tackle D end hybrid. He could be special. And I think if they're really good up front, then it becomes a question of can they, you know, limit the big plays and win in some shootouts. And honestly, their schedule kind of sets up in such a way that I think they're going to be able to get through their growing pains early. They open the season at home against Army, which gives them a month's time lead up in fall camp to prepare for the triple option, not an easy game. But if they get that win, then they get Gardner-Webb and Buffalo at home in back-to-back weeks, and then they're into their Sun Belt slate. And at the end of the year – they get to travel to Virginia to play a Cavaliers team that I'm actually pretty bullish on in the ACC. I think they could win eight or nine games. Fun offense. Um, you know, first year head coach there could be a really exciting opportunity to score a top 25 win. So, for reasons like that, I look at this coastal team that people may forget because they lost two games. They were five points away from a perfect season last year. And app state comes to them. No Louisiana on their schedule in the regular season. Like I started, to like add some of these things up, and you know the fact that they get at so many games on the surf turf early in the year. I think that's going to make up for some of their growing pains in terms of new starters. Um, but this all runs through Grayson McCall, who's statistically one of the most accurate passers in modern college football history. So I'm comfortable. The fact that they kept him out of the portal, he kind of flirted a little bit with the idea of going to the NFL draft. I think that would have been a mistake. But this is probably going to be his last year on campus. And I think he'll be damned to see them be just an average Sun Belt team. I think they'll be right in there in the mix to win it. And if they do it with an impressive win against Virginia down the stretch, stranger things that happens. And I do think the committee is human in terms of having that bias of, have we heard of this team before? Have they shown us on a big stage that they can play that BYU win from two years ago still looms large. I think they'll, they'll get the respect in that regard if they
1: run the table. So going to go with the the shots here. Yeah. Like you said, we've seen it kind of, with, we saw with UCF, we saw with, C- with Cincinnati is it almost takes like, okay, they've been here for two or three years to finally where the committee will kind of put them over the edge. And at the end of the day, you're getting what's, I mean, unless I'm fearing someone off the top of my head, probably the best G5 player in the country at the 10th spot. So I don't hate that pick at all. They were on my big boards. Like them, UAB, and Toledo were kind of like the last three I left off.
0: All right, so I'll run through our picks here. I got Houston, Boise, UTSA, SMU, and Coastal. And you ended up with Cincy, Central Florida, Fresno State, Marshall, and Air Force. For Mike Ionello, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been Big Bets on Campus, the Group of Five Deep Dive. We're going to be back next month with more content. Going to be hitting all the season previews. We're going to have more specifics on exactly what that's going to look like, but be sure to keep an eye on your podcast feeds as well as the Action Network's Twitter feed for updates on what's to come. Thanks so much and looking forward to another great season.